0: When it comes to investing, retirement and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. you found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing
1: Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Glad you could join us again this week. My name is Jeff Shade. And as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice, of course, come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear it, Brian. I hope our listeners are doing well, too. Another great show lined up for us again today. We've got another special guest and some great information that I think our listeners can use. But before we go any further, again, I want to talk about this brand new book, book that we've got. It's called The Seven Steps to Successful Retirement. Really excited about this one, Brian.
2: Yeah, it's a new book that we're coming out with. It's not meant to be as technical as some of the books I've written where they're more of an educational, topical kind of approach. This is more bigger picture and, and in the end, probably more important because having a financial plan for your life is so important as we see on this show. Most people I run into have spent more time in their life picking out shoes than they've done planning their retirement. So, Uh, It's not a knock. It's just it just is. It's just the way we are. Uh, We we don't necessarily sit down, or do we have the tools to do that? You know, some people try and do it on their own, but it's pretty hard to integrate all the facets of a successful retirement. Having a uh, we call it the rooted wealth analysis, and having the right roots in your financial plan, and have it cover all the various areas it needs to cover. Um, You you can sit down with an Excel spreadsheet and track uh, how much you know your net worth is, sure, and and project that out. But that does doesn't really cover what we're talking about here. It doesn't cover where your cash flow is going to come from, your your health planning, uh, you know, funding for that, legacy planning, income taxes. All that stuff can't be put in a cell on an Excel spreadsheet. So this is a much broader uh, look at things, a much more detailed look at things. And, and it's really important, I think, really, really important to, to do it. Do it well, though. Not just to do it, but to do it well. And most of us don't have the tools to do that. So that's what we're, we're trying to offer. And that's what this book is talking about.
1: So these seven steps are really just the foundation of a successful retirement plan. And I sort of think of these sort of like that entrepreneur's wheel where you've got all the spokes. I mean, if you've got all seven spokes working for you, you're going to have pretty much a successful retirement. If you've got five or six of those spokes, I mean, it's going to go along, but you're going to have sort of a clunky wheel, right? Yeah,
2: that's a good analogy there. And not only do you have to have all the different areas going well, but there's a qualitative thing because I know there's a lot of people out there who say, hey, we do a financial Plan. And I said, "Well, what's your what's your background? I sell insurance annuities. Well, do you have any tax background? Oh no, I can't talk taxes or, or trusts or state planning. Well, how about real estate? Oh no, I don't. I don't do real estate. I don't know anything about that. Are you licensed to talk about stocks? No, I, I can't talk about your investments. I can sell you an annuity and I'll do your financial plan. Uh, I bought this program and for a thousand dollars, and I punch in some numbers and it gives me this really cool report. It's forty pages with lots of colored graphs, and I hand that to people. Well, that's not very helpful. You, you, you're not qualified." Do you do surgery, and your part time in your in your you know, in your garage, garage too? You're just not <laughs> qualified to qualitatively do a proper financial plan for the people that we're meeting with. So I, I think it's not just having a financial plan. There's qualitative aspects of this. Even the entrepreneur's wheel. Yeah, you got to have you know the eight things covered, but you can have them really well covered or kind of sort of covered. You know, you could have a, a good idea or a fantastic idea. You could have good financing or tons of financing. You know, pretty good management or exceptional management. Just like you could have a financial plan that I would, you know, on a scale of one to 10. Yeah, it's a plan. I'll give it a two. You know, uh, you should have a nine or a 10. You should have your financial plan done well by people that are qualified to do it. And unfortunately, most of the ones out there, most people that say they do it, don't do a qualitative financial plan. Just like, you know, if you're having your taxes done, you have a complex return. Do you want uh, the volunteer uh, college kid doing your tax return? You know, they do tax returns too. <laughs> My office does tax returns. Or would you rather have somebody do it? that actually knows what they're doing.
1: Once again, that book is called The 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement. If you'd like your copy, simply text RADIO, that's RADIO, to 833-673-7373. Again, that's RADIO to 833-673-7373. And we'll remind you of that number later on in the program. Brian, as I said, another good show lined up for us uh, today. This is an opportunity for me to just sit back and listen and learn because we've got another special guest, don't we?
2: Yes, we do. Uh, Nick Smeltzer of of our firm is here today. We're going to be doing a deep dive. We'll learn a little bit about Nick and then we'll uh, do a a deep dive on some real estate topics uh, related to where he spends a lot of his time here with us. And he also does uh, financial planning with clients that come in too. Just like all the advisors here, uh, we have what, eight advisors now. So a good group of people. We do work as a team. So some people actually come in and they well, I want to work with Brian. I'm like, well, actually, if you work with Brian, you know, that's fine. But I probably don't have the bandwidth to give you the attention you want personally. So that's why we have all of the advisors we have. They're the ones that have the bandwidth. Now, I'm on the investment committee. I'm the lead of the investment committee. Uh, I'm the one doing research on investments. That's where you want me to spend my time. I'm not the one that has tons of extra time to have tons of extra meetings every day and get to know you and your situation and do the the research and, and uh, all of that. So that's why this team approach works much better, where I can leverage my time being in charge of uh, the investment ultimately, but where the advisors can be in charge of making sure you have updated financial plans and that you, you've talked all the stuff through, and then I'm available as needed. So it's much better to have actually the team approach where your your contact is one of our advisors, such as Nick, who's going to be on here in a minute. It's much, much more advantageous, I believe, for our clients to have the team approach where I'm part of the, the team, but uh, I'm, I'm not responsible for all the meetings. I, I, I got to go home at
1: some point each day. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, Brian. Well, I'm going to sit back and listen and learn, and turn things over to you and Nick. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I want to welcome Nick to the the studio
2: here. Uh, Nick, why don't we start by just having you tell us something about your background? Uh, go all the way back. Probably an hour or two ought to cover it. Well, oh no, maybe maybe in a couple of minutes here. But yeah, go ahead, Nick. Tell us a little bit more about you.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brian. So a little bit about me. Um, We can go back to all the way of how and why I got into finance. It really started with my mom, who's one of my heroes. She's the hardest working person I've ever met in my entire life. Raised five kids, supported her mom through her fight through cancer. And one thing I noticed um, with my mom in, in her hard work and always uh, you know putting food on the table and making us feel safe and loved was the amount of stress that she had. A lot of that stress came from our finances. After her divorce, like many people, they start getting some debt collectors calling and you know they had to start working longer hours. so as I got older, I just determined how I would help and give back to the community and help my family is get into finance. But where does that really start? You have your CPAs, you have your economics, you have your financial analyst. And when I got into college, I met a professor, Mr. K., And he sat down with me and we talked about all the different types of finances and and where I want to be and, and what I'm interested in. And he said, well, there sounds like two routes you can go. You can either be an analyst or you can be a wealth manager and be an advisor. So I pocketed that in the back of my head and kept taking the classes A's and B's on on those. And then I got into WSU, go Cougs, and took all the finance classes. And then close to graduation, I went to uh, Washington State University. And at the end of it, I uh, met uh, Brian and uh, Madrona Financial. And they were just very down to earth people, very easy to talk to, very personable. And you could tell that they had a passion both for accounting and the finance to be real holistic view. And that just really uh, struck my interest. And Been working there in June. It'll be four years. Was on the DST side. Now I'm moving over to a lot of the um, planning and financial advising.
2: Oh, it's interesting. Uh, We have a similarity there. You know, I've shared with people on the show before where I grew up and, you know, everybody pretty much always talked about money and lack thereof. And my younger brother was teasing me when I was on a vacation with him recently and treated him to the vacation. And he says, Brian, I'm so glad you grew up cold and mad because he teases me about how I'm always I was always complaining about how cold it was. Because, you know, my parents wouldn't let the heater go above about 58 degrees in the winter. Because, you know, when you pay the heat bill, then you can turn up the heat as much as you want. I'm going to I'm going to make a lot of money someday and I'm going to turn up the heat. And we would have these arguments all the time. They would say, put on another sweat. You know, I, I don't have any more sweaters. I'm wearing four, you know. I was always cold and the rest of the family didn't run cold like I did. So he was teasing me about growing up that way. So it was real motivating for me to not have that kind of life. I didn't want to live a life where I'm always complaining about not having any money and being cold. So similarly, it sounds like you had a similar experience where uh, motivation is a great thing. And unfortunately, with generations now, uh, they have a lot more stuff and a lot of stuff comes easier. You know, people owned one car car way back when. They owned one black and white TV. They had one dial telephone. You know, We didn't have the, the wealth that uh, back then that people have now. And so the motivation maybe isn't there as much, but it sounds like uh, you were similarly motivated. I remember, uh, yeah, we were at a, something called a Cougs First event uh, where we had a booth there with other Cougar businesses and just kind of showing up. And then, then you came along and, and met actually with one of my other employees at the time. And she said, well, you got to meet this guy. I'm like I don't have time for that. <laughs> so then, no, no, no. You need to meet this guy. I'm like well, I don't have a job. You know, I, I I'm just kind of there and with a booth. And so, uh, but I met Nick and I was like, huh, all right, this guy, this guy's all right. Plus, he's a coog, which was good. Uh, sorry, huskies that are listening right now. But yeah, so uh, we we actually uh, constructed a job for Nick. One that we didn't have before, and that was to start out on the DST side, the Delaware Statutory Trust, doing the paperwork and, and doing all that, and then that started expanding. Uh, he tell he was an awfully bright guy, and so we started having to do the research on all of our alternative investment strategies, whether they're Delaware Statutory Trust, private non traded mortgage REITs, private non traded equity REITs, uh, whatever it was, all the alternative investments that we're able to have, and he keeps up on all of that, and then he got his passes his test and, and licensed advisor now and now he's meeting with clients and, and doing all that. So it's been a pretty cool success story I think. Because one of the things that I think about Nick, maybe you want to comment briefly on is coming out of college, it is very, very, very difficult to do what you're doing in short order because pretty much I'm sure anybody listening would say, if you met a 25-year-old college grad, I'm pretty sure you're not turning over your life savings to them as a financial advisor. Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I noticed when I would Sitting in your meetings or going to conferences with other financial advisors or other financial professionals in the room, I was always the youngest person in the room. So you kind of get that chip on your shoulder to be like, okay, I need to be precise. I need to be true with my word and I need to really listen more than talk and kind of gain the respect there. So it's been a good eye opener of how to uh, speak with people who look and they're like, I'm 65 years old. Can I really listen to this 25 or 30 year old? How can you help me? Um, So just really building in the mutual trust and respect has been really, really fun.
2: Yeah. And, and it does take a team because, you know, Nick's not, you know, none of our advisors, including myself, do everything. I don't even do the tax planning and so forth. I mean, high level I do, but I don't do the calculations. I got a CPA firm behind me to do that. I don't do any of the paperwork for new accounts or for REITs. I got Jolene, I got Carolyn uh, annuities and, you know, I got Heather and financial plans. I don't even know how to turn on the program, honestly. I, I don't even enter notes in the system. I have other people, Doing that, I don't know how to do a DST application, Nick. You you handle all those. So it, we have a whole team of people that's able to put all this stuff together. So Nick's part of the team, uh, but uh, he could be the point of contact for, for new clients. Well, well, we're up against a break now. When we come back, I want to talk about kind of other people that are entering this industry and then get into more of what, what you do day by day here, Nick, when we come
0: back. Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans will be right back with even more ways to help you stay focused on your retirement goals of getting only half the story we've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio you're listening to growing your wealth with your host brian evans now here's brian
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs, and this segment we're going to continue our discussion with Nick Smelser of Madrona Financial and talking about a little bit more about his background and about the things that he he brings to the table, uh, his day to day stuff, and then start talking about some of the topics and maybe some stories about things that we've encountered uh, working together on some of the clients that we work on together. But first, I, I did want to finish our discussion about your background. One one of the things that occurs to me, I started, I alluded to in the last segment. Was other people in the industry how hard it is in this industry to really be able to talk to clients? Because most of our industry, when uh, you think about stockbrokers, you know, we're held to fiduciary standard, but most of the industry is not. And as I understand it, to break in, they basically give you a phone and, well, in the old days, I guess, a phone book, maybe now a computer. But uh, you're supposed to cold call people and and sell, sell, sell and try and get a book, a business. And really, that's probably about the worst job in the world. Maybe timeshare sales might be worse, but they're they're probably on par with one another. So have you been talking to any of your other friends that were in finance uh, coming out of college, what kinds of work that they're doing and how they're trying to break in uh, to a very difficult business to break into?
3: Um, Yeah, I I have a a couple friends who are also in the financial advising industry or trying to break in or one of my friends actually recently left because exactly what you're talking about. They're given a phone. They're told to sell, 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 sell. It's all about the product. Oh, this guy needs a stock. Okay, get him into Apple. Oh, Netflix is down or whatever. Get into that. But with Madrona, and I think what they're a little bit envious of when we're talking is it's not product. You know, I don't care if they want a stock or a REIT or or a bond. It's really what is the process. It's really the um, seven financial roots of sustained wealth is what I'm talking with clients about or prospects about. It's not about the product. It's how can we get you in a place to where you want to? What is your retirement goals? What's your dream? What's your vision of retirement? And how can we get you there?
2: Yeah, I think that's a real, a really important distinction there. There certainly most of this industry is in product sales, and very often somebody is selling one thing. Yeah, you know, I remember this this one advisor I was calling and and kind of coaching up, and and I was put on hold, and I said, "We are your one stop shop. We're your full service financial planner." And he gets on the phone. And I said, you know, I was listening to that and it occurred to me, don't you guys kind of just do one thing? Yeah, we only sell one annuity. So you only sell annuities. Yeah. You said one, though. Yeah, yeah. We just sell one from American Equity. It's the American Equity such and such annuity. We sell the one annuity. I said, but your your, your message says you're a full-service financial planner and a one-stop shop. Well, yeah, we are. I'm like, okay. I didn't push it, but you, you know what I'm saying here. I mean, we'll give you everything you want. It reminds me of the old, uh, the jerk Steve Martin. You can have any prize at all if you win. Any prize, as long as it's between this and this and this. And he ended up uh, putting his hands around one thing. And you know, it was, as long as you want this prize, you can have anything you want. We're full service. So that is a big differentiation that certainly we have here. And glad to have you on the team. Now, yeah, when you started, uh, we started with uh, Delaware Statutory Trust. That was fairly, I don't think we'd done a whole lot of that. By then, I don't know if you recall uh, where we were at in our uh, DST uh, progression.
3: Um, I think it was 2018, we were maybe 20 million altogether, okay. and now we've passed 150.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of DST and a lot of people um, getting the option of changing their life. I mean, DSTs, certainly for those of you listening to the show, you, you know that these are Section 1031 exchange real estate assets where you can sell your appreciated investment real estate and do a 1031 exchange into any other kind of investment real estate. DSTs just happen to be one of the types that qualify. Uh, you can uh, sell for a 1031 exchange, you can sell a, a fourplex and buy into to uh, rental houses. So you can buy a farm. You can exchange it into any kind of real estate. You can exchange into a DST. You can exchange from a DST back to a fourplex or back to a, a farm or a, or whatever you want. It's, it can be any investment real estate, which excludes your personal residence is basically what we're doing, or a vacation home. But pretty much any other kind of real estate that's held for investment purposes, not personal purposes, is eligible generally to do a 1031 exchange if you follow the strict rules. Now, speaking of the strict rules, uh, when we We do a a DST. What are some of the things that you share with clients? You know, they call and say, yeah, I've heard something about this uh, DST. And uh, what are some of the uh, educational things you send out or questionnaires or maybe you run us through the process so people understand that a little bit better? Because even people listen to me every week are often confused as to what the process looks like.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. The process really starts whenever I'm talking with someone. After I've determined that they're an accredited investor, net worth of at least a million dollars, excluding their primary residence, I want to go to why you shouldn't do this. Since it's not product-based, it's the process-based. If I tell you five reasons why you shouldn't do this and you're like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay with all of those risks and those reasons why not to, then we can really go to, okay, why you should do this or how it's going to go into your financial plan. And then it's really just bases on the plan. I was talking with one prospect um, a a little bit ago, and the thing with him is he he and his wife—they're really into the business of owning, developing, and acquiring real estate. But they wanted to diversify into some DSTS as well. I talked with him; he had about two million dollars in his ten thirty-one exchange, but he had three hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. So, knowing this market, it's always king to be a cash buyer. So I said, okay, here's all your here's all your options. Let's just buy a DST that satisfies your debt. So now you're going in and looking at being a cash buyer in everything. So he loved it. He was able to go in. And that's really where we where we want to start is once we determine you want to do this, you need to do this, then we can go to how does it fit optimally in your financial plan?
2: Yeah, you said something really important. Uh, our first job here is to disqualify ourselves from having you invest with us. I know that sounds backwards, but it's super important that if it's not the right thing for you, we want to know that. We want to get that out there. We want to figure that out. So I was as you were telling that story, I was thinking, well, one, one of the things that could happen is they, they might say, well, we heard uh, about doing this DSTs. We love doing real estate. We, we knock it out of the park. We have good opportunities. And I'm gonna say, whoa, do not do a DST because DSTs are singles and doubles. And what you're talking about is hitting home runs. You're young, you like to do it. DSTs are for people that wanna retire from being a landlord and retire from real estate development, not get into it and do more of it. That's not what it's for. Another reason not to do a DST would be you need the cash flow for other purposes. So we're going to make sure you have adequate other assets before we're going to talk about doing a DST. Maybe you don't have a big enough gain. I've talked to a lot of people out of it. And I said, well, how would you acquire that asset? Well, I, I inherited it two years ago. Oh, did you hear about step up in basis? You don't have much of a gain. Oh, really? Well, no one's told me that. Yeah, yeah. So now I can look at their tax return and say, oh, hey, they missed a step up maybe. And let's amend your tax return, get the step up. You can sell the asset. You don't hardly have any taxes to pay. Take that money, do something else with it rather than tie it up in a DST. DSTs are illiquid. There's no secondary market. So they're illiquid for a number of years. So there are reasons not to do a DST. So our job is to disqualify that. And one of the interesting things I think about, if you worked at a broker dealer and somebody comes in with a $2 million deal, And you talked him out of it, and uh, you went to your boss and told. If you tell me, I said, "Good job, Nick. That that was the right answer." What what happens if you're uh, one of the broker dealers and you tell your boss that?
3: Well, I talked myself out of a job with the client, and I talked myself (laughs) out of the job with my boss. That's right. You lose your
2: job. Uh, (laughs) You had that layup. You had that two million dollars, and you lose that. And uh, you're going to lose your job. And that's, you know, whereas here you, you get kudos for coming up with the right answer. And not only is the right answer, but selfishly, that person is going to leave there and go, wow, they treated me right. They, they, they did the right thing and they turned away money. And I'm going to tell everybody I know, when they have a question to go in there, you can trust these guys. So that that is what we're looking for. Our reputation is 100 times more important than short-term uh, paycheck on something that, that was done wrong. And uh, so it's extremely important. I don't care what we're talking about. If you come in and say, I heard about these annuities, I can get cash flow for life and not be in the market. I want that. We're going to say, well, wait a second, let's let let's try and talk you out of it first and, and why all the reasons why you shouldn't do one or the stock market investments or private non-traded REITs or permanent life insurance or whatever it is we're gonna try and we're going to we're gonna spend some time talking about the detriments and why uh trying to disqualify that investment we're also going to try and disqualify you you know you might be doing just fine by yourself and you don't need us we're gonna ferret that out so it's not that we don't want business of course we do but we need to go from an angle of of why wouldn't this be the best choice for you and, and if we check all those boxes now we and you are both free to kind of be open to what some of the uh, suggestions are so uh one of the things about DSTs too is not everybody's the same when it comes to DSTs. Uh, Like anything, you may have access to the same DSTs as we have. Uh, Somebody else may have them, but do they know much about them? So tell us some of the vetting process that you put these DSTs through.
3: So it it really starts with the individual DST sponsor. There's multiple in the industry, but not every single one is created equal, just like every other industry you're looking at. There's the leaders, there's the middle of the pack, and then there's the bottom of the pack. We want to work with the best that are out there or the ones that we trust in their philosophy, their track record, and how they treat their clients. And it really starts with there, once we've determined, okay, we like these people, we've gone through the vetting process that lasts months and months, we go into the individual offerings themselves. And then it really goes into what are the loan terms, what are the lease terms, what's the cap rate sensitivity, cap rate is your net operating income divided by the value of the real estate, and if their income goes down um, or their revenues go down, call it three, five, or 10%, how does that affect the profitability or potential profitability of the DST? What if property values continue to increase? Or one of the big topics right now, interest rates are going up you would think that as interest rates go up, cost of debt is going to be uh, higher. So the real estate is going to be going down in value, because there's just less people that are going to the table that can make those interest payments or qualify for those loans. So once we've determined all of those, and we like the DST sponsor, and we like the offering, then we bring it to the clients and want to know what they're looking for. Do They they may say, I don't want to do anything in retail, or I don't want to do anything in self-storage. I only know multifamily and I love multifamily let's do that so we want to educate them so they know the the advantages and disadvantages of each one and then we build a full plan maybe they go into two or three different dsts in multiple states and multiple asset classes
2: yeah so there's a a huge vetting process i I think you must have i I know you have dozens of data points that you gather on each one of the dsts and we look at them and then we come up with recommendations for that client but the client ultimately gets to decide you know i'll have clients that, like you said you know you know, I don't like a particular asset class or the, you know, say, well, we got this in Florida and they're fully insured. Yeah, but I don't want to have hurricanes in Florida. Well, okay. We don't have to be in Florida. That's fine. And so people have uh, definite uh, opinions about that and we can do whatever they need. And so the, that, that, I did want to point that out, that it's something we work with the client on, but we've done our research beforehand. Uh, we being uh, mostly you, Nick, and then you bring that stuff to the advisors, such as myself, and then we go over that together and talk it through. So I'm going to come back from the break. I want to talk about some of the other Uh, types of assets that uh, you uh, analyze for us here as the lead analyst for much of the stuff that we uh, advise for on the alternative space. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break.
0: Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss
2: Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion with Nick Smelser, one of the advisors on our staff. And, uh, Nick, we were talking about some of the research into Delaware Statutory Trust, but certainly – and we've done uh, evidently uh, over $150 million now of Delaware Statutory Trust 1031 exchange placements. We're uh, certainly uh, one of the, the top in the country at that. But as far as other investments outside of that, now we do the standard investments that uh, any advisor out there can do that's licensed. that would be the equities market, whether it's stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, it can be the bond market uh, along with that. But uh, we certainly spend a lot of time on real estate because as we talk about on the show a lot, there's five general areas where you can invest outside of your uh, business and your house, You know, your personal assets, that kind of thing. But the big five are, Uh, The biggest one being the bond market. Uh, Next is the stock market. The third one is real estate, investment real estate. The fourth one is insurance company products including annuities and permanent life, and then the fifth one is cash and cash equivalents such as CDs. So those are the big five asset classes. Now most people in our industry certainly focus maybe on one or two of those. We can certainly help with with all of them, but as far as the real estate area uh, is concerned, there's different areas of real estate. There's active real estate where you're the I'm talking about investment real estate here. There's active where you're the, the landlord. There's passive. In the passive area, there's DSTs, which are you know where you don't want to be the landlord anymore and you do a 1031 exchange. But there's also a big area called alternatives. And so I want to talk a little bit about alternatives, how we use them for our clients' portfolios, why we use them. Why don't we just buy publicly traded REITs uh, to satisfy that and that kind of thing. So maybe uh, spend a moment talking about some of the different kinds of alternatives that you also research for us
3: certainly you kind of kind of hit it right there the passive versus active. So for a passive real estate we're looking at equity reITs or, or debt reITs um, primarily each hit, different satisfactions for a good financial plan. And it really goes to, for the equity ones, the great thing about that one is you hear in the news, inflation, inflation, inflation. The great thing about equity REITs is they own a lot of multifamily. As inflation goes up, one of the factors that goes into that is the increase in rents that you're paying. Me, I'm a renter in in the area in, in Bellevue, Washington, and my rent went up quite a bit. Well, when I was looking at year to date turnover, rental rates were up thirty to forty percent in just my area. If inflation's at seven percent or, you know, five percent, whichever it is currently, and your rental rates are at forty percent when you're uh when you're a realtor or a landlord, you don't you don't really mind. And that's really what the REITs are doing. They're going to be in areas in buying real estate to where they're in kind of the sunbelt or places where people are moving out of the gateway cities, the New York's, the Seattle's into maybe Miami or outskirts of a major MSA area. and. And when you're an owner in one of these REITs, you're getting the benefit of the non-correlation between the stock market that publicly traded REIT would have.
2: Yeah, that that is a very important part. A couple things you, you said there, the, the publicly traded REITs, because they're traded on the stock market, often are highly correlated to the stock market, meaning when the market's up, they're up. When the market's down, they're down. Even though the underlying real estate didn't really change, if the market's down, they're down. Whereas a private non-traded REIT doesn't have that similar correlation Correlation that a publicly traded REIT has to the market, so that's a that's a big thing. Because often when we're investing, we're looking for non correlated assets. We don't want everything to go the same direction. If we did, we just buy one stock for everybody and call it good, or one sector and put it all into that. So you know, putting all your eggs in one basket isn't necessarily a good thing. I I remember uh, you were talking about inflation and real estate. Real estate can be a hedge against inflation, and and here's I learned this from my uncle who had oh gosh he had over twenty. Rental houses, and I remember him telling me how he was really kind of depressed because we didn't have inflation. I said, "What are you talking about? Nobody likes inflation." He says, "I love inflation." I, "What are you talking about?" He says, "Well, all of my houses have mortgages. They're all fixed. With inflation, I can raise rents. My inflow goes up. My outflow is the same, and I make more money." I said, "Oh." I see. So, from a landlord's perspective, you like inflation when you have fixed rate underlying debt. I'm Like, oh, okay. So, that was, that was interesting to me. Some of my clients would go, well, I, I don't know if I want to buy into that real estate because inflation. I said, well, actually, inflation is your friend. I hate to say that. You know, I, I don't want to be, hey, let's, let's, let's do a cheer for inflation. That is not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that that's just a, fun, a numbers function that net profit can go up. Now, conversely, if interest rates are higher, as you pointed out, it out, Nick, the fair market value of real estate can drop because not as many people can go out and get a cheap loan to buy your property and pay, overpay for it. So there's an offset there too. So it's just some interesting facets. Some of the things that we look at when we're analyzing real estate, it's not just real estate. It's like, okay, multifamily in the Sunbelt state, how is that going to react to this? How is the underlying financing? If uh, if we're looking at net lease properties, are they long-term leases without increases in rents built into them? You know, that may be the case. So they would react differently, too. So that's some of the analysis we do. Certainly, you mentioned uh, equity REITs and debt REITs. Can you explain the difference between the two of those?
3: Yeah, the, the equity ones, they own hard assets, Um, physical assets that you could go see, like let's say an Amazon distribution center or a nice 300 unit apartment complex, um, so to speak. The debt REITs, they lend really since the Great Recession, big banks stopped giving loans to small businesses as they were seen to be higher volatility for those prospective clients. So the small businesses, they went and now they're going to these private equity firms. Where they'll give them an X amount of loan at a fixed rate or floating rate, depend on the type of risk profile that the business has, but they'll collateralize on their business or hard assets in their warehouse, for example. Like if they make jeans, a bank, a private equity firm will say, okay, I'll give you this loan at this fixed rate, but if you don't pay it, I get all of your equipment to make your jeans. So that's really the biggest difference between the two.
2: Yeah, that that is an interesting area that change that has happened there. Yeah, it used to be uh, small and mid-sized companies go to banks to get their loans. And after the banking crisis... That area of the market really just dried up, whether it was through federal regulatory reasons or just risk reasons. Banks got out of that business by and large. Now it's, you know, you can go to the bank and, and uh, SBA can, if you qualify for an SBA loan, Small Business Association loan, then the bank will lend you money because they have guarantees from the federal government that they'll get paid back. So you can get SBA loans at very low interest rates, which is great, but not everybody qualifies for that. And if you're out there, you're a mid sized company, you want to grow through mergers and acquisitions and you need money to do that you need capital and uh, you don't want to issue stock you're just not in that position you're a smaller mid-sized company and you're not publicly traded now where are you going to go to get money the you know, bank's going to look at you, you're crazy. No one's going to loan money. We, we're not in that business anymore. They got out of the business, essentially. So private equity uh, firms were created, and the interest rates on these loans are much higher than you would normally expect. You know, you usually think, what, well, do they get 3 4%? No, it's much, much higher than that. So that's where companies that are looking to expand, you know, they might say, well, we're willing to pay 7 8% on this loan because we think we're going to parlay that into something much greater, and we'll put up our equity, our, our buildings, our our equipment as collateral so it's a huge area of the market and why it can be important is and all of this is uh, whether it's a publicly traded uh, equity REIT or debt REIT the yield can be much higher than you will find in other areas so the yield on these often is higher than the yield of a junk bond fund uh, much higher in in many cases uh, than junk bonds. Yet we believe that the collateral, the ones that we would advise on, is much much better. The the upside much much better, and the risk lower than we, you would normally expect with a with a junk bond. And so, uh, because yield is hard to get out there, we have to find continue to find products. That offer yield to our clients so that they can balance out their gross security, liquidity, cash flow and tax savings. So, you know, tax savings with DSTs or cash flow. It's hard to get cash flow. You know, what are you going to get with a CD these days? Not very much. So it's uh, probably don't want to buy junk bonds. So these are some of the areas that we invest in, spend a lot of time doing that. How much of your time uh, leading up to when you became more full service uh, financial advisor, do you think you spent just analyzing
3: these areas? I mean it's it's hard it's hard to put a, a time on it um, I mean before I licensed I was working 40 50 60 hours a week for what 3 years it mm-hmm. was
2: yeah, that, that sounds about right. And and that's pretty much all you were doing for that, that time period, and which was a great help to me because you would summarize that information for the investment committee to analyze and, and go over. And so that's when people come to us, they're, they're often really amazed how much we know about real estate, understand the correlation between it and the markets and the, the bond markets, the stock markets, the publicly traded REIT markets, the private non-traded REIT markets, mortgage REITs, equity REITs, regular investment real estate. So some of the analysis that we do in fact, one of our advisors just put together a spreadsheet that I reviewed uh, just last night where we can take your tax return and do an analysis of your real estate, break down, pull out the depreciation, debt payments, compute your cash flow, your cash on cash return to help you understand. I, I know sometimes we, we talk to people and we'll ask them, well, what are you getting right now? And they'll, they'll say, you know, uh, 8%. And have you had any of those conversations with somebody? And you kind of get to the end and go, I don't think it's really 8 now that we've gone through it.
3: Yeah, no, I was actually, now that you mentioned it, I was talking to someone uh, just a few days ago. He was like, yeah, I I get 5% on my real estate. And talking about it, he's owned it for 35 years, fully depreciated, hasn't done any maintenance on it for years. So that triggered my mind. I'm like, okay, you have deferred maintenance on here. How old are some of the appliances? Oh, I need, I need to fix all of them. When was the last time you fixed them? Years and years. Okay, so it's going to cost you, what, thirty fifty thousand? 50000 Yeah, probably about right. Okay, so let's do that. No, you're in the hole about 50000 You just haven't written the check yet.
2: Yeah, a lot of the people I talk to, they'll say, well, I'm making 8%. Well, how do you figure it? Well, I take my gross rents and divide it into what I paid for the thing. Well, hasn't it doubled in value? Yeah, well, that eight just became four because you, you divide it into uh, what it's worth, not what you paid for it. And you told me, gross, don't you have expenses? Yeah, I lose about half the money to that. Okay, now we're at two. Okay, and you mentioned it's old, your deferred maintenance comment. Do you put any money into it? Oh, gosh, every year I get killed on on repairs and maintenance. So, really, it's zero or negative. Oh, yeah, it's not eight, is it? It's I don't make, I, yeah, because I always ask them, how much money do you end up net in your pocket at the end of the year? Well, nothing. You just tell me you make eight percent. You know, so that's, that's a, an analysis that we can do uh, property by property just by looking at your tax return and have a brief discussion with you and an estimate a fair market value. Maybe we can come up with where you're at right now and maybe it is time to improve that or maybe it's great and we would tell you that uh, if it was and, and say don't do a DST or don't do a 1031 exchange. So uh, anyway, uh, we got a break here, or come up against the breaks, and we come back, we'll complete our discussion
0: about alternatives with Nick Smelser of Madrona Financial. Discussing the financial issues that matter most to you. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer
2: Evans CPAs. And today we're talking with our guest, Nick Smelzer, advisor here at Madrona Financial. Now, Nick, you being younger than me, I'm sure you run into a younger crowd. You know, I I talk a lot about retirement planning and post-retirement and legacy issues, trusts, and so forth, because many of my clients are in that age bracket. Uh, Certainly, you're probably talking to more people in their 30s, 40s and and 50s. And there is a little difference uh, in financial planning for That generation, you know, certainly when I talk to younger people, we talk about things like fixed index universal life, where you can start putting away money into a policy with the expectation you'll be taking it out down the road, income tax free, which is great. Who doesn't want tax free cash flow someday? And the key to a fixed index universal life policy is time. So I'm not having that discussion very often with a 70 year old client, but uh, with a 35 year old, absolutely, Uh, you know, there's, there's other other things that I think somebody, uh, I I don't want to just pass over the younger generation, just talk about uh, older people's financial opportunities. But uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the things that you talk to the younger generation about when you're doing financial planning.
3: Certainly. I would say the first thing I talk with clients that are in their 30s, 40s, or or even 50s is what is your business contribution for your employer? Do they do a match? If so, are you getting 100% of that match? Because it's free money your employer is going to give you for working. Let's get as much free money as we can. And then do you put it into your Roth or your traditional? Uh, If you're younger, tax rates could go up. Definitely from where they are right now, a Roth would make more sense in that situation. um, I also talk to younger people primarily about our rules to sustained wealth, which is prepare your wealth so it supports your quality of life. Prioritize your wealth so it fulfills its purpose and then plan your wealth so the odds are in your favor. What that means is what type of life do you want to live? Not above your means or below your means, but right there. In optimizing your life and your finances, get a good balance, your expenses versus your income, and then prioritize it so you're looking at it on a monthly or quarterly or semi-annual basis to ensure you're not missing anything. And then really building a plan of here's where I am, here's where I want to be, uh, and how I'm going to get there. For example, buying real estate could be a, a good place. There are many places of the of the country that aren't as expensive as many of the big gateway cities I mentioned, the New Yorks, the Bostons, the Seattles, going there, putting your sweat equity into it into the property, getting it nice and a place where people will want to rent so you can increase the rent by the 40% that I mentioned. Really getting it there so you're setting yourself up. So when you are at the time of retirement, you have these assets. You have the 401k that's full in, in a Roth to protect you for the taxes. You have the real estate that is there that has it doesn't have a ton of deferred maintenance that you're maintaining and you're keeping up. So then when you are able to retire, you're going to get the most amount of money for when you sell that property.
2: Yeah, and then one of the things that I often hear about is, gee, I'm not gonna buy a house, they're too expensive. Well, do you think they're going to go up or down in value? You know, I, if you think they're going to go up, then they're always going to be too expensive. But, you, you know, you, that's one of the cornerstones to uh, what you were just talking about. Planning for your wealth there is that you have a place to live and that's paid for someday. I was telling my, one of my boys about that because he was talking about renting and buying. And I said, you realize that someday your mortgage goes away. You pay it off if you stay in the house long enough and your mortgage is essentially your rent. But someday your your rent stops, whereas if you're just renting your whole life, that's going to go up for the rest of your life. And so it kind of clicked with him. And too expensive is relative, you know. Certainly, uh, Nick, you rightfully say it's too expensive to buy a house in Bellevue right now. Well, it is right now. I remember saying it was too expensive when Bellevue houses were $150,000. I thought, that was crazy. Who would pay 150000 for a house? So I bought a tri-level in Kirkland for $86,000. And I was telling this story to my friend's father and he said, yeah, I remember when I was in Capitol Hill there and there are these houses for six thousand dollars, but they were too expensive because we had one for thirty five hundred, and they wanted six thousand dollars for that house on Capitol Hill. Everything's relative; prices go up. This is what inflation does, generation to generation. That same house, course now is a million and a half dollars, as was the the Bellevue house I was talking about. So yeah, so it's it's kind of relative. Now, one of the things I often get asked is, what's the best thing to invest in? Brian, you're Mr. Financial Advisor guy, and I will always say in yourself. So. Uh, I know that you know all of us get there a different way. You uh, went to Washington State University. Did you start out there? Did you how did you fund your your college education expenses?
3: Yeah. Like many people, I uh, did the community college route. So I took a couple years between high school and community college, saved up some money so I wouldn't have to take a student loan. And then in between community college and the university, I got the uh, the Pell grants and then saved up money, worked a couple jobs, and then went to the university and then worked there as well. So Really putting in my time, so then I could have the money in the bank instead of getting the student loan that I would potentially still be paying to this day.
2: Yeah, student loans. I mean, they're okay uh, if you have a marketable skill set that you're getting. I know a lot of people take out big student loans, and okay, that basket weaving degree is probably not going to help you pay that thing back. And you know, I was having this conversation with a young person recently. They had this job, and they, well, they're paying me for my expertise. And I said, well, what are they paying you? And he told me and I said well what could you make working at fast food and he told me that I said they're only paying you one dollar more than you would be at fast food they are not paying for your expertise oh you're right so what is that expertise worth so that that's where investing yourself to where you have an expertise that is marketable can be a very good thing I I joke that my first year tuition is seriously was $646. And if I tried to figure out uh, what's my return on investment from just a labor job to what I make over my career, you know, and dividing that tuition into that you know, four years, well, the next year it doubled. And I thought that was ridiculous. Oh my gosh, $1,200 a year for tuition? This is crazy. So like I said, everything's relative. But I would say that that roughly $5,000 that I spent on tuition had a pretty good return on investment uh, over the years doing what I do. So always... Uh, investing in yourself if it's the right investment, just like I, it's all qualitative. Again, if you invest in yourself and it's the wrong thing that you invested in, you know, you might invest in your skill set gambling with cards or whatever. Well, that's probably not a great investment. So, you know, you got to be a discerning about that, what you're investing in, what your plan is. And, and basically what we're talking about here for the younger crowd is you need to plan too. It's not just retirement plan is not just retirement planning for when I'm old and that's 30 years away. I don't, I'm not going to do that now. It's lifestyle planning. It's planning for that. So that's kind of what you were talking about. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, no, certainly starting the planning at your 30s and 40s and as detailed of a plan as you can, just like any plan, the more detailed, the earlier you start, the more success, the higher the odds of having that success when you are in your 50s and 60s. You make the most of your money or the highest years that you're earning in wages is in your 50s your 60s, your 40s, and then your 30s, and then your 20s, you're not really making much money because you're hopefully you've built the foundation in your 20s and 30s. So, in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you're really being flourished in, in your financial plan. So, then you can get to those retirement age. So, I like having those conversations early with people and seeing the lights kind of flicker or just go red hot and be like, oh, okay, these are the years I need to start thinking about this stuff.
2: Yeah. And a lot of people are listening and say, well, I'm not, I'm not that age anymore, but maybe your kids are, or other people in your, your nieces, nephews, or whoever you run into, they're looking to you for advice on, oh, gee, how did you become successful? I, I, I can't even envision, you know, I run into people all the time. They come to my house, working on my house. They're going, how did you end up with this? Were you, were you born rich or whatever? I'm like, I already told you I was born in a house that was cold and <laughs> they wouldn't turn up the heat. No, I was not born rich. I farmed for 13 summers. Nick was not born rich. Uh, none of us were, we, we struggled, we, we were motivated, we worked hard and we continue to, you know, learning should be a lifelong event. I mean, I'm learning stuff uh, every day. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm still learning stuff all the time and, and uh, challenging myself. So you can really be a great mentor if you are older to the younger people that are hungry for this kind of Advice and doing that lifestyle plan—it's just so critical because whether it's you or, or or the younger generation that we're talking to, it's so critical to have that plan in place. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and go, "Huh, what happened? The last 20 years are just a blur." And I, boy, I, my finances are nowhere near where they need to be for me to have the kind of life I want to live uh, because things change and and over time, as we know, and uh, a little bit of planning early and often can be an incredible game changer for somebody. And that's why I do want to encourage people with uh, the new book uh, called The Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. You can go on uh, madronafinancial.com. You can get a copy there. You can sign up uh, to have one sent to you, whatever, however you want to uh, consume the book. But it's it's a very, I think, a very important read. And and it's not just for uh, people in their 60s, 70s, and so forth. It is for anybody, any adult, uh, basically, that could get through this book and, and start thinking about what it's going to take to have the successful life they want. Because as we talk about wealth on this show, wealth is not just about how much money you have. And happiness is not about how much money you have. In fact, sometimes it's co- uh, non-correlated or negatively correlated. The more you have, the le- less happy you are. Money's a tool. Financial Finances are a tool. They're a resource. A resource that can help you attain that kind of life that you want. A wealthy life is someone with great feelings family, great friends, great hobbies, health, uh, doing important things, your faith life, your charitable life, your interest and activities and so forth. It's much, much more than how much money you have. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're happy. And so that's some of the stuff that we'll be addressing that we do address in that book. So I really want to encourage someone that is listening to go to the website and download the seven steps to a successful retirement. So with that, uh, we're coming up to the end of the show here. Nick, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking a little bit about your background. I learned a little bit more about you. I don't sit around talking to employees about their background and how they they got to work. Uh, I'm pretty much a no-nonsense boss when it comes to that for the most part. But uh, any final thoughts, uh, Nick, from you?
3: No, I I look forward to meeting anybody who's listening to this who who thinks they want to uh, sit down for uh, a meeting, see if we're a good fit and you're a good fit for us and uh, go through the Madrona process with all of you. Thanks for having me, Brian.
2: Yeah, yeah, you got it. And uh, certainly uh, if you are doing a DST with us, you'll get to know Nick because uh, Nick will walk you through that process to when you're doing a Delaware Statutory Trust. So with that, uh, I'll wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to this edition of Growing Your Wealth.
1: Thanks, Brian. And thank you, Nick, for being our guest here on Growing Your Wealth. Brian talked about that book, the new book that we've got out, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. If you'd like your free copy, you'd like to begin reading it right now, as in in just a couple of minutes, we can get that done for you. All you've got to do is text RADIO, that's RADIO, to 833-673-7373. That's RADIO to 833-673-7373. And you can download the book. We'll also email you so you can download the book and read it on whatever device that you want. No need for us to send it in the mail. It'll be downloaded immediately. Once again, radio to 833 673 7373. For Brian Evans and Nick Smelzer, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? Thank you so much for joining us this week for Growing Your Wealth. We'll talk to you again next week.
0: No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth Radio Show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial financial services, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona insurance services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona financial services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.